this is Melissa Hale Spencer, the editor at the Altamont Enterprise, here today with Roberta Villanova Nunn. And I came across her from Sue Holdley's Westerlo Library column, where she wrote, and I quote, Roberta has a passion for education, and she has traveled to the ends of the earth to learn about the geography, history, and culture of the peoples of the world. As she travels, she collects representative examples of the arts and crafts of each country she visits. So welcome, Roberta. (laughs) Thanks. And you might hear a camera clicking in the background, and Roberta has put us in the mood of a safari by wearing a hat for the occasion. And... um, she was telling me when she taught at BKW, could you just repeat what you said you would wear to class? Well, I taught Spanish and French to kindergarten through third grade, and so I would wear my sombrero when I taught Spanish and my French beret when I taught French. And the kids loved it, and I felt like I was famous every day I was there. I bet you were. (laughs) So if we could just back up all the way back to your childhood, because... Sue has piqued my interest by saying when you were six, you took an ocean voyage. But just tell us a little about your life growing up. Where are you from originally? I'm from Hudson, New York. Okay. My mom was born in Italy. My dad was born in the United States, but his family moved back to Italy when he was eight. And he wanted an Italian bride, so he went after the war to Italy and was fixed up and with my mom. And then she came here in 1951. And therefore, my first trip to Italy, I'm the firstborn. My first language is Italian. Uh, So your family at home would speak Italian? Yes. Oh, isn't that wonderful? (laughs) My mom sent me to pre-K to learn English. (laughs) Although I already knew it, my dad spoke English as well. Mm -hmm. And my mom left me at pre-K and said, my daughter doesn't speak English. And when she picked me up, the teacher said, yes, she does. <laughs> so you had fooled your mother. By yes, I'm truly bilingual. <laughs> yeah. I, they say that's the best way to learn when you're very, very small. Somehow your brain is more receptive and able to do that. Yes. So I'm guessing now that your that ocean voyage was to Italy. Yes, it was. She took myself. I was... Six and my brother at the time, who was four, and we spent four months there. Oh, how wonderful! Now, whereabouts in Italy is that? Uh, in the Veneto region, which is near Venice, and uh, we basically played with our cousins and played with our relatives and had a great time. Yeah, and my guess is you probably went back many times after that. Yes, many. This. Last May was my 10th trip. So you were, in fact, a world traveler your whole life. Uh, Yes, I guess so. Uh, I will say that growing up, I was embarrassed by my background because there weren't that many immigrants, recent immigrants in 1950s. And my mother would try and bribe us to practice our Italian and nothing would, nothing worked. Uh, She took us back when I was 14, and my brother was 12, and my younger brother was 7. And so we spent two months there, Uh, again, getting to know family. We went to Rome, and 
it was a wonderful experience, but yet I grew up with really loving and knowing this country and always a little afraid that my parents might move back to Italy, uh, which they didn't. My my dad fought here in World War II, and we... Yeah, rem- I read, we, I looked up his obituary. He was really quite a war hero, wasn't yes, he? Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but because I was fluent in Italian, um, I studied foreign languages as my minor. Where I, did you go to college? SUNY Albany. Mm-hmm. I did... Uh, I did an immersion program at SUNY New Paltz, though, for my foreign language degrees. And So what languages do you speak besides English and Italian? French and Spanish fluently. Oh, wow. Yes. Uh, it was, well, you needed that. If I, I started as a social studies teacher. Uh, wasn't, it was difficult back in the mid-'70s to teach what I had learned, because I had studied in Morocco for a semester, and I taught African history and had a different perspective than the textbooks. So I... I'd like to explore that. (laughs) How is your perspective different? Well, having been in Morocco, I, I was immersed in the culture and learned how people were wonderful and they had their own way of life which was somewhat different than our own although we had a lot in common of course family is important religion's important the environment's important um but our textbooks at the time mostly made africa look like it was backwards and infected with disease and so much of it was untrue from my experience mm-hmm. And when I started teaching in 75, 76 in a small community, my my community of Hudson, I was a bit controversial. So I left teaching and became a social worker and did alternative education and uh, continued my language background, um, wanting to get back to teaching. I really, really enjoyed being a teacher more than being a social worker. When I was working with a teen parent program, one of our teen parents said to me, Roberta, if I'd had a teacher like you, I would have stayed in school. And I thought, well, maybe that's really where I belong. And so I I finished my degrees in foreign language because it was diff- I did have a job teaching Italian, which was great fun, but it was a, a temporary position. So I I had to learn my I had to continue my education in French and Spanish because those were the languages that are taught in our schools primarily and found that I really enjoyed being a foreign language teacher. And by then, the curriculum may have caught up with you, you know? There was, yes, things uh, have changed. Yeah. Uh, now schools really want children to understand concepts, general concepts, and be able to apply what they've learned instead of just regurgitating facts. hmm and the foreign language curriculum has changed quite a bit, too, where immersion is what is important and fluency is important and understanding cultures is what's important, not so much uh, memorizing grammar. 
Yeah, and, and also too and with your bad experience with social studies, I like to think that New York State curriculum has changed enough to understand different cultures more from their own perspective. Is that true? Did you find that or not? I don't know because I only taught social studies formally for a few years, yeah. and then I just continued for with foreign language. But you would teach your students about the culture of those places, absolutely. As well. So that was yes, my bonus yeah, for one them. of my keys was to engage the students with food. <laughs> I love to cook, <laughs> <laughs> so you would cook food from the places yes. that you were teaching the language from. Oh, yes. isn't that wonderful? Mm-hmm. I've often heard that the way to a man's heart is through his stomach, but I guess the way to a student's brain might be through his or her stomach. (laughs) Like, what were some of the dishes? that? Well, when I taught social studies, we made couscous for North Africa. We made groundnut stew um, for Africa, south of Sahara. We made Chinese food. Um, We visited uh, Innisfree Gardens that has Japanese garden art. So I tried to immerse the kids in cultures, even though we didn't take any physical trips to another country. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, so now tell us about the physical trips. When did you start this, other than, you know, the repeated journeys to your parents' homeland, when did you start traveling to these other parts of the world? I'm just going to quickly read this list from Sue's column, because just (laughs) in recent years we have... Ecuador and Peru in 2014, Tanzania in 2015, Australia and New Zealand in 2018, Chile, Brazil, and Argentina in 2018, and Morocco in 2019. Hmm. That's, that's a lot of travel. I love to travel. And those are my recent trips since I've retired. I mean, I've traveled throughout my life. That's where I save my money, you know, for my travels. I've been to Europe many times. I have cousins throughout Europe. Um, My husband also loves to travel, and his family is uh, German and Swiss. And so we've traveled quite a bit to those parts of of Europe that I hadn't been to before. So I've I continue so to travel. So I was going to ask you, travel alone, or you mostly travel with your husband? or I've traveled alone mostly, okay. and then my husband and I made several trips. But I, because I speak languages pretty well, I, I wasn't shy about traveling on my own. And I bet that's the way you really get to know the culture, because speaking the language is so important. You're not immediately set apart as a tourist. You're somebody who can converse with people in their own tongue. Tell yeah, us that's a little about, about that. You know, <laughs> are people surprised? I think there's a lot of kind of an ugly American concept of um, people abroad. Have you run into that? or No, I, not really. Um, people are just very friendly. They love travelers. I, I've, when I travel alone, I travel by train. Mm-hmm. And I usually bring something to sew which allows for conversation. Oh, isn't that nice? So you're not like hooked up to your phone and ignoring the people no. around you. That's what strikes me. I just flew across the country, and you used to sit and talk to the people next to you, and now everybody has their own screen. So you're sewing, and you're open, and you strike up conversations with people. Yes. <laughs> well, what is it you're sewing? Uh, quilting, Oh, mostly. you do quilting? Yes. Oh, wow. Well, so what you've brought 
and I'm so thrilled, are books that you've made of some of your recent trips. And I thought we're sitting side by side on the table here. Um, Roberta has also, and we have between us these beautiful picture books she's made, but she also has spiral-bound notebooks like the size of your hand that um, are labeled for each trip. And when I opened the first page, I could tell she was a school teacher because her handwriting is beautiful. And she has written, like, this is the first page of Australia, New Zealand in the spring of 2018, neatly labeled. And on the first page, it says readings. And just tell us some of the readings. I'm assuming you did these as preparation for your travels? Yes. I I have to uh, talk about the company that I travel with just a bit. Okay. Um, They're called Overseas Adventure Travel. Um, When I traveled in my earlier years, I always figured out my trips on my own because I speak the language and always just thought it was more authentic, which it is to just experience things as you go along, no matter what happens. It's a lot of fun, the things that happen to you. But now that I'm in my 60s, I really appreciate having everything kind of organized for me, but yet I don't want to just follow someone carrying a flag. And this company uh, makes its groups be no larger than 16, and they are the tour guides are from the area and extremely knowledgeable, and they just seem to talk nonstop. It's almost like being in graduate school. Um, I wish I had done something like this earlier. And uh, they send out a booklet well before your trip, and they have suggested resources, readings and movies and so forth. And being a teacher, I like being prepared. And so I, I read as much as I can before I go on the trip. That's great. Just tell us some of the titles, because I'm, <laughs> I'm just intrigued. Okay. Well, for Australia, I read The Fatal Shore by Robert Hughes, In a Sunburned Country by Bill Bryson, a comedic observation, The Happy Isles of Oceana, Paddling the Pacific, Road from Kurain by Jill Kerr Conway, which is a memoir of growing up on a sheep farm, Chasing Kangaroos by Tim Flannery, True History of the Kelly Gang, Come on Shore and We Will Kill You and Eat You by Christina Thompson. Oh, my. This was, was a memoir of New Zealand and the Maori. Oh, my. Uh, and I saw a DVD called Once Were Warriors. Wow. So you have all this in your brain as you're going to this foreign country and you're listening to a tour guide and the other people in this group, are they Americans or from around the world? Or? They're Americans. And so yes. do you develop friendships with these people? Oh, very much so. And- well, my my main traveling companion is my friend Elaine. Uh, we're both retired teachers And so we've traveled with larger groups of retired teachers, and then the group includes other travelers from other parts of the world. And when we did our safari, uh, we made very good friends with two other women that were teachers from California. And so we've done subsequent trips with these teachers from California. (laughs) And the the friends keep growing. Yeah. (laughs) And what about the people that you interact with in the place that you're visiting? Have oh. you 
<laughs> built up any relationships there, or is it? Yes, it's it's very very difficult to leave. You become so attached to the tour guides, and uh, that's all I can say. I, yeah. It makes me emotional. Because, I can hear it in your voice. Yeah. Right. We. It seems that when we're ready to leave, we just invite every tour guide to come here and visit us. And do they ever do that? Not yet. Oh, wouldn't that be exciting if they did? <laughs> yes. Well, um, what we have in our paper this week is a picture that Sue sent in to go with her column, and it's you with an aboriginal holding a piece of artwork that's now, as I understand it, on display with these other works mm-hmm. at the Westerla Library. Just tell us, like, how did you find that artist, and how did you come up with getting this artwork? Well, um, this particular artist was introduced to us in a discussion we had with Overseas Adventure Travel. They not only give you one main travel guide that goes with the group, but they have experts every single day and sometimes more than once a day in each area. And this was an original person. They prefer to be called the original people rather than aboriginal. Okay. And they tell you about their culture and have a very frank discussion. There's never a question that's out of bounds. They will answer everything. And this particular uh, man that came and spoke with us had artwork for sale. And, and is he the one in the picture with he's you? He's the one okay. in the picture. And we have the option of purchasing or not purchasing, but I do like to purchase art from the artist. So that's how I... So tell us about the art. What is it? Many people travel and they come home with what I consider kind of ticky-tacky souvenirs. <laughs> but you come back with original artwork. What What is it, um, you know, that draws you to that? Well, I like, I guess I like what they're portraying. They're usually portraying their beliefs and their culture or something in the environment that attracts me to, like the, the mountains of Peru, um, their homes, uh, things that interest me, family, you know, environment. So is your house bursting with artwork? How do you have room for all of this? No, I don't buy that away? many. <laughs> or, no? No, I don't buy that many pieces of art. Okay, but the, you know, enough to fill up the room, the Hannay room at the the Westerlo Library. There are 14 pieces there, yeah. and a few of the pieces actually were handed down through my family members because they lived in Africa. Oh, they did? Well, after World War II, my mother's family had to disperse. There was no work in that region of Italy. So I have uncles that worked in Canada as lumberjacks, and um, this particular aunt and uncle went to Belgium, and the government sent them to the Belgian Congo. So I have two cousins that grew up speaking Swahili, and they also became language teachers. One worked for the common market, was an interpreter there. She speaks many more languages than I do. Oh, my goodness. Uh, So I have relatives around the world. I have an aunt that went to Argentina to become a nun. Uh, And And have you visited her? Um, I didn't. She passed away just before I I went on my trip to Patagonia. But my cousins... Uh, the two that are language teachers as well from Swahili, uh, from Africa, went to see her 
um, the year before I did. So I'm glad somebody, and my aunt, one, my mother's family is very large, and I have, I had a, an aunt who was the youngest and also a teacher, and so she traveled quite a bit, and she went to visit her sister in South America a few times. Oh, what an exciting family. Well, now I'm going to turn, I'm setting aside these journals, and I wish we had time to look at all of them. I'll just say the titles. Um, we also have Peru, and I don't know how to say this. Machu Picchu. Machu Picchu, and Ecuador and Galapagos from 2014. We have Morocco from 2019. We have... Iguazu Falls. That's in Brazil. <laughs> and then we have Argentina and Chile and Patagonia and Cape Horn and Tierra del Fuego, Fuego <laughs> from 2017 and Tanzania and the Serengeti. Oh, I just have to open this one. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like by touching these, I'm kind of like experiencing a little vicarious thrill here. Oh, my gosh. The first entry is October 15th, en route to the Serengeti, Tanzania. And we just launch into the narrative. Clothing sprayed with, it must be some kind of a, yeah, is that an insecticide? Yes. Oh, my gosh. And everything crammed into the required luggage bag. (laughs) You don't think about the, the, um kind of nitty-gritty, because what we have in these books is just sheer beauty in the picture books, but you must have to deal with a lot of the nitty-gritty, too. There's a lot of preparation for each trip. Yeah. So this book, and I'm just, wow, our time is going so fast. I know when we started, or before we started, Roberta said she's making presentations at the library, one for children and one for adults, and just trying to fit into a short amount of time all of her wealth of where she's been so this is the safari and it was from 2015 and she's put together these large size picture books herself and I asked if she took the pictures and she takes so you're a photographer no no I'm not no I just I just take photos and (laughs) <laughs> well, on the cover alone, we have a leopard who seems to be lounging languidly on a tree. We have two lions, a male and a female, who appear to be having almost a chat back and forth. <laughs> well, th- this is why I love going with this company. There are people that rent their own Jeep and they do the safari on their own. But yet this company had three tour guides in the Serengeti. And they knew every detail about every animal and bird and insect in the area, knew where to find them. And we were so fortunate to be up close and safe yeah, <laughs> with all of these animals. astounding because these are animals, if, if I've seen them at all, it's been behind the bars of a zoo. So... This book that you put together yourself has a content, very orderly, and uh, just a beautiful pictures throughout. And there's a map that I think these lines probably show where you went. Yes. We have dotted lines um, to places I can't pronounce. <laughs> I don't know if you want to read some of those names of where you've been. I don't... Uh, well, this is... Probably just to show where the Serengeti is in relation to, um, in relation to some of the other towns. 
Uh, we also went to Tarangire National Park and other game preserves. And so we're just presented with picture after picture that looked to me like they came from National Geographic. I don't know how you're not a photographer and took those. What, what was it like to be so close to all these animals? Oh, very, very exciting. And we had to be very still and very quiet. Ostriches? I mean, I don't even know what some of these birds are. They're just beautiful. That's a secretary bird. A secretary yes. bird. Okay. And part of the trip in, for the Serengeti included tenting in oh, the Serengeti for four so nights. Slept out. What was that like? Well, the tents were very comfortable. We had our own private bathroom and shower in the tent. Uh, you could only shower when the water was ready to be dumped in, but uh, it was very private and nice and exciting. We but had between to you and the animals, <laughs> <a> canvas cloth. <laughs> that's all. That's all. And we could not leave the tent in the evenings at, at all. And we had during the day even we had to just walk in front of the tents. And I I like to exercise, and so I was walking by myself in front of the tents. It wasn't a very large area, and I saw some zebra, and I thought, okay. And I got nearby, and they gave me a warning uh, snort. And, oh. and believe me, I, I headed back to the tent and my, oh. my traveling companions. <laughs> but we had a lot of laughs at night because you could hear the animals walking right alongside. Oh and the goodness. hyenas laughing. And at one point, we had an elephant who had attacked our our supplies and the guides can't carry guns or weapons they just can make noise to scare the animals away so you don't know what's going on oh my (laughs) gosh i didn't even know zebras snorted oh and here are pictures of elephants i mean like (laughs) it's like roberta is right next to this elephant huge yes we were and there's a mother and a baby elephant and then there's a close-up of the elephant's eye there's that, what is it, song, the corn is as high as an elephant's eye, but you get in so close, and I never have seen an eye so close. You can see the eyelashes and the wrinkles all around it. That is an eye, isn't yes, it? Yes, okay. yes, the eyelashes are beautiful. Yeah, wow. And is this your guide in the middle here? Yes. Oh, wow. How exciting. And what is this, a tree that looks like barbed wire? I mean, it's a thorny bush. Uh, let's it's see. against a beautiful sky and cloud background, and it's dark, like silhouetted. Looks like barbed wire, but I'm assuming it's a growing some kind of. Yes, a- I guess it was a detail of the larger tree here oh, on the left hand okay. side. Yeah, I mean, I just <laughs> kind of speechless, which isn't good for a podcast. What this elephant is? He like making a noise here. He's got his head up and he he looks like he's bellowing Maybe. yes he could yeah. could have been yes oh. or drinking water wow and the beauty of the plains they're just these wide open spaces oh and here's a lion in profile roaring these picture books have no captions so you are just letting your imagination <laughs> kind of Oh my gosh, there's a leopard, you know, as if posing for a portrait. And then, is that 
a head of a leopard over yes. a rock face? Yes. It almost looks like part of a rock. Mm-hmm. Do you have any particular memories of these that stand out in your mind? What is this bright yellow bird? I don't remember the name of the bird. It's I'm so sorry. It's so astounding because everything is like muted tones. And then this flash of bright yellow, and there's another one nearby flying. Mm-hmm. Yes, the birds are very colorful. Oh. And we liked the giraffes the best. They were the really? most beautiful. Why? They were just the so elegant. Really? Mm-hmm. Because when you see them in the zoo, they always look so sort of awkward, you know? Oh, no, they're, they're very, blinding. very graceful. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And here's a shot uh, from across the plain. You can see a rainstorm coming. And then another beautiful sunset. Just, oh, and a whole, um, do you call it herd of elephants? Mm-hmm. Yes. Under a tree. They look so social, like they're having a little gathering. <laughs> oh, and there are the giraffes. Wow. Don't forget the flamingos. Oh, look at the flamingos. Now, I think of flamingos as being bright pink. These look sort of white. No, they were pink. Oh, they were? Yeah. Well, what's neat about this picture is these flamingos are standing in a pool, a perfectly calm, no-ripple pool, so... You see the flamingo and its reflection as one, and it makes it look like their very tall legs are twice as tall. That's just, that's just stunning. Oh, here's a caption. Can you find the zebras, leopards, gazelles, and hyena? Okay, so this is a picture of what, at first glance, looks like empty grasses on the plain. But I'm putting on my glasses now. It's like, where's Waldo? Um, <laughs> Yes, I can see, I can't see the zebras, but I can see the leopard and the gazelles. Do you see the zebras in there? Maybe their stripes, you think of their stripes as standing out, but maybe their stripes are how they blend in. Oh, almost all the animals blend in. Wow. We're so, so almost, (laughs) oh, this is hippopotami, is that the plural? Yes. They are bathing and they just look almost comical in these little pools these great huge creatures i'm closing this book though because we're technically out of time but i'm just going <laughs> to quickly quickly open patagonia by the sea on the stella australis to that cape was... horn i can pronounce cape horn <laughs> Oh, my. Okay. And the frontispiece has a picture of you with somebody in life vests. Oh, yeah. That's ready to... Oh, that's my oh. daughter-in-law. Oh, wow. How cool. And there are a whole cluster of you on what looks like a very small raft. <laughs> so you you were on this boat originally and got yes. on a raft? Yes, yes. Oh. You, you did two trips a day. Off the boat, on a raft, and onto the shore. And the mountains are just stunning. Snow-capped, rocky, very pointed peaks. I hate to say it, it's so American. I think of, when I hear Patagonia, I think of the outdoor gear. (laughs) But I guess you would need really very uh, hardy gear to... uh, Although, here you are dining on white tablecloths, so I guess you had a bit of both. Wow. So this is an adventure of a different sort. We've been from the plains to these snow-covered mountains. 
Wow. Oh, penguins? Yes. <laughs> They're not the usual kind of penguins. They have white stripes around their eyes. And there's a caption, so I'm going to read it. More than 4,000 penguins use Tucker as a place to nest, give birth, and nurture chicks. Wow. Oh, this is a picture that stretches across these two huge pages. It's just gorgeous. It's just, you look like you're in the middle of nowhere. Well, that's Patagonia. Wow. <laughs> just ocean and rock and mountain and mist. And glaciers. Oh, glaciers. Those are glaciers. Yes. Okay. I should have known that. Well, we are beyond out of time. Do you have any concluding thoughts for people? Oh, don't be afraid to travel. People are very friendly. And we have a lot in common. All people do. Really? What have you found in common? Uh, just life in general. Family, we all have that in common. Everyone appreciates. I think that's so important in this era of American isolationism to talk about the commonalities of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Um Spirituality, uh, the beauty, appreciation of nature. Well, thank you, Roberta. <laughs> You're welcome.